You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Willkommen im Schottischen Fußball Podcast. Hi, how you doing? Welcome to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, season nine, episode fifty. Uh, I was practicing my German for that intro, but I don't know whether it worked or not. Um, so I'm John, joined by John. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good, John. How are you? That's a bit of yeah. a weird start. <laughs> I thought I'd go for it. I mean, German football's on the rage just now, so I thought I'd go for it, see if it worked. Uh, you good, I? Yeah, good. You say it's all the rage just now, but I, just, I watched highlights of that Dortmund game and it just looked a bit surreal. No... It was like a tra- it was like just like a training exercise, wasn't it? Because there was no fans. Well, there. yeah. Well, I watched it, but it was made more interesting for me because I decided to have a wee shot game. Um, so for every goal that was scored that I seen live, I had a shot. So by about <laughs> half five, I was struggling. To be fair, um, so any football looked good. Is um, this the modern day soccer Saturday game? Aye, COVID aye exactly. Aye. Aye, you can't get out to the pub to do it, so we just thought we'll bring the pub in. Um, so yeah. Uh, and Chris, good to have you back on. How you doing? Uh, well done on that intro. I tried a, a foreign language intro a few years ago, and it was a disaster. So I uh, well done on that. That was much better than I done. Well, I thought I'd try. I mean, the wife does speak perfect German, so I thought I would uh, ask her. And uh, when I was saying about it, I knew I can have had a rough idea. And she was like, "Podcast will just be podcast. They'll, they'll not have a German word for it." Uh, and true to form, I checked Google Translate, and there was I there was no German word for it. So I was all right. Um, and yeah, we've got another guest on, which we're pleased to announce. So, Glasgow City FC, Scotland International, and BBC Sports Sound pundit and presenter, uh, Leanne Crichton. How you doing, Leanne? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, I Yeah. Glad to have you on. Um, no, thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, so, you well, it, with... what was that? I was just going to say, as long as you don't slaughter my big pal Tomo, then we'll be fine. Oh, I will. Well. We won't slaughter him. <laughs> yeah. One of the questions that one of the um, listeners has put up. Yeah, I saw that filtering on uh, Twitter. Uh, no, I'm doing okay. Thanks thanks very much. Just surviving lockdown and doing what I can training-wise and keeping as busy uh, as I can. I don't think I recall a time that I've uh, ever been at home for as long a period of time as this. So one part of it, is enjoyable, which sounds um, bizarre, but no, just making the best of it. Yeah, it's that way you're kind of like, you start to enjoy it and then you're hoping it doesn't become too normal. This whole, no getting dressed properly, you're like, you know, <laughs> your gym, like whatever, sports gear I know. all the time. No, that's it, it's just trying to keep in some sort of routine, I think any sports person operates best when, when you're in that routine and um, that's kind of what I've tried to do from the beginning. So it, it's actually been all right. Where I stay is quite handy in, in terms of getting out and running and kind of keeping that social distancing and uh, still being relatively effective. So made the, the best of a bad situation, but hopefully um, the return of football's maybe not too far away. Oh, I At least training anyway. Have you had any kind of talk? Have you heard anything about that yourself? Or? No, there's, there's not really been much, to be honest. I don't know... Um, where the women's game in Scotland will fall into I know in terms of recreational football and academy football they're 
speaking about that, possibly not returning until next year. Uh, how much truth there is in that, I'm, I'm unsure. But I think for us, if we could get back training, even if it was in, in small groups, if things start to change over the next you know, four to six weeks, uh, it'd be something that we would look to try and do. But I, I think for everybody, we'll just need to hang fire and we'll be ready to go whenever the announcement comes. You know, I don't think we'll need too much preparation to be coaxed back into training. Um, how quickly we can roll out the return of matches might differ just because we were currently in the summer league and there's chat around possibly changing to the, the winter league which would run um, in line with the men's season so that might delay the restart ever so slightly Aye, because you were one game in weren't you with like uh, Yeah, just the one game so I mean we, we weren't really affected in the sense that we were mid-season or we were at the, the tail end, you know, at the business end if, if you like but it's not great that the, the season had just begun. So if you're talking about trying to finish the season between now and the end of the year, what would normally finish the end of November, it's looking unlikely um, with the amount of matches that you would have to play. So I think the SWF are, are in talks just now to, to try and work out what's best moving forward for the women's game. Are you even more glad you could get your trip to Spain with the national team before this all happened? <laughs> I know it's bizarre actually because we were apprehensive about going to Spain because it was the beginning um, of March so there was plenty of chat around um, the careers but luckily we were, we were absolutely fine over there and I only if you could have enjoyed the, the training sessions a bit more knowing that um, there wouldn't be any more for a, a long long time and the games as well so no, it was nice, nice to um, get at least a couple of games under our belts, but sad as well that that's your lasting memory of 2020 has um, been that long ago now. So see, in terms of doing your own training, is that you get like stuff from Glasgow City and Scotland as well, or just more so the club? I the national team supporters in in terms of the, the support that we get from Sports Scotland, so there's... Um, Kind of advice and programming that you, you can tap into if you need. Um, with the club had programmed as, as you know as soon as we um, had split up, but there's really only so much programming you can do. I mean, we've we've got stuff there that varies week to week. Um, like multiple choice, if you like, you know, pick what you fancy doing at a couple of sessions. But when you don't have a date to return just now, it's difficult to know what you're training for. So. The concern for me is that you would, you know, overtrain um, with a view to being back, say, in July, you know, and that doesn't happen. So you, you would want to try and peak and, and hit a point in, uh, when you're returning to pre-season that you're actually in relatively good nick as opposed to being burnt out. So for, for now, I think most of the girls are just doing enough to keep themselves mentally um, sane and ticking over. You know, anything that you probably find a weakness in, in your game, um for me, in terms of the speed and stuff, I've kind of focused around that. Um, but aye, it's just laid back about this. You could overthink it and you could be stressed about, you know, falling behind. I've not kicked a ball for probably seven weeks because um, there's, there's no need to, to go out and break rules and, you know, do things that you'll have plenty of time to catch up on. So um, we're all doing okay. Yeah. You've been busy with your own podcast as well. Right. Aye, well, that's good. Yeah, I, the behind the, the goals is kind of 
very early days, but it's been enjoyable. We've spoken about doing it for a long, long time, probably as long as a couple of years. Um, just with our scheduling and, you know, Rachel being across in America, it's been hard for us to find time to actually pin things down. And my training schedule back here and, and the work that I was doing with the BBC is quite full on once you're, you're in the season. So there's been absolutely no excuses for us not getting this off the ground. Um the response so far has, has been really good and myself and, and Rachel are, are obviously really good friends um, as well as teammates so it's been nice spending time with her doing it as well and actually you know keeping in touch a bit more and um, you know the people that we spoke to as well it's kind of nice to hear their stories just now and I think there's not a lot of exposure around you know female players and terms of their careers you know just yet because it's all very new there's, there's not been too many pro players that have retired as such um, that you would get back over their journey you know too much so um, we just wanted to build a platform that we can start you know getting those stories out there and, and letting people hear a wee bit more about us so no it's been fun really fun Aye, it's good listen definitely I've enjoyed it been listening to it Plus, you draw, you know, anything we can pick up off of you guys and, and every other podcast out there, oh, you know, we do and try and <laughs> learn all the time, you know, but it's, it's there's an act to the way you speak to people and there's an act to the way you interview and the questions and, and stuff that you come up with, so um, for us, it's fun. Yeah, I think the thing we've always tried to say, and Chris, you'll back me up on this as well, like John, we've always tried to kind of treat it as if it's like a conversation down the pub almost, like try uh-huh. not keep it too formal. And that's the beauty of a, a podcast, and they're the best ones that um, you can listen to. Because if they come too questioning and too formal, then um, I don't really think you engage that well with it. So uh, we're just trying to find a balance with it just now. Um, so no, we'll, we'll keep at it for as, as long as we've got time anyway. And hopefully once things get back to normal, we can still um, negotiate it in and around what we do. Yeah, we like that. I'm sure there's a skit chat. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was about to say. The tangents are the best part, and the, we're delighted that you're having basket chat on your podcast. So uh, we're, we're quite into the pie chat. <laughs> um, aye, well, you get plenty of that in, in Scottish football. I'm sure there's a few clubs that would um, claim to be providing the best. Um, but the, the basket chat certainly get, get us off the ground and get people talking, which was was quite funny. And we made it onto the McVitie's. Um, Instagram story, so that was a claim to fame. So, I tell you what, I've discovered during this lockdown is um, as does jam and creams, They're like a jam and dodger that's got a cream inside it as well. Oh, oh, like 45p, I don't even know if you get two bites out of them most of the time. Yeah, no, no, I say anyway. I'll, 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 I'll maybe try the as the versions because um, one thing I've noticed in lockdown is that the, um, the price of shopping's gone up. Um, people say to me, yeah, yeah you're um, saving money in your fuel because you're working from home rather than going to the office. Aye, the money's getting spent mm-hmm. in food. <laughs> I, <laughs> and then... I know, I know. Uh, but, uh, the revelation with the biscuit chat was that the digestive, the, the chocolates on the bottom, that just, I don't know where you stand with that, but I couldn't no. believe that that was crazy. That's that stupid talk, surely. But then did my fighters not confirm it? Aye, aye. <laughs> they replied to, um, to say just to confirm. Um, which the Instagram poll that we had ran, everybody thought it was on top just about like 70, 30. 
um, but McVitie's came out and blew that out of the water and told us it was actually on the bottom. So, yeah, I can't even the writing's on the top of a digestive, a normal digestive. So if you then put chocolate on the other side of it, it's on the bottom. So I, I, I'd get where I come from it. I know. Yeah, I, I've just, I could never imagine holding it that well, Anyway, we'll not get into it too much. Cause it's oh, no. You still hold it upside down. Yeah. <laughs> like on a, on a different food-related topic, crisps. I never ever open a packet of crisps upside down. No, no, definitely no. not. It's bad luck, is it not? Well, the flavours at the bottom as well, isn't it? Aye, true. When you get true. to the bottom and the wee crunchy bits. Aye. No, Discos, I just... Especially. Disco's have always got flavours at the bottom, so if you don't open it at the end, it's something right. <laughs> <laughs> you only get some with five crisps in a packet of Disco's these days. Okay, that's about the same with them these days. My favourite taste uh-huh. is pickle onion, onion monster munch, and you get about five in that, huh? We uh, were laughing about crisps actually in the podcast the other week as well, and Corsi... Uh, she brought up roast chicken walkers. <laughs> I was like, I've not ate a packet of them for honestly, I don't know, twenty years. But just but they were one of the the flavours that were like proper Moorish, a bit like your discos and uh, Monster Munch. But I was laughing when she said that because like, I've not even thought about them for years. Um, but I, I do like a biscuit, a crisp. Biscuit and crisps, yeah, I'm, I'm crisps every day of the week. Biscuits, I'm no bothered. The crisps are my weakness. Really? Both are my weakness. No. <laughs> What's that? I was going to say, I'm, I'm <laughs> both are my weakness. Both are my weakness. Nah, more biscuits during the week. That's my treat. I, wouldn't, I don't eat crisps or anything like that until it's a weekend or after a game or something, but I quite like a wee biscuit at night with my, my cup of tea. No, we say excuse your sugar. during the day. It's <laughs> sitting at my desk during the day with a cup of coffee and a biscuit, and then I'll have a crack pack of after I've had my sandwich at lunch. That's just a random place. I can have coffee on its own. Like, I, would, I don't have something to accompany it all the time, but there's something about a cup of tea that I need to just have a biscuit with that. It doesn't. I wouldn't just have a cup of tea um, for the sake of it, if you get me. Oh, yeah, I've, I've always got to have something to up me with a, a tea or a, a coffee. Um, sometimes yeah. we, sometimes with tea, it's um, it's toast at night time. But it's um, a dangerous yeah. game in lockdown, though, because there's too many cups of tea and coffee. And... <laughs> sometimes it's just just to go off the like <laughs> yeah. Bye. We should probably move on. Get we'll probably get back to food chat no doubt later on at some point. Um, but yeah. <laughs> The reason why we've got you on, obviously, kind of talk about yourself, your career and stuff like that, playing, obviously, your punditry now as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, see, just going back, growing up, did you play with girls' teams or did you play with boys' teams to begin with? Uh, well, the school team was primary school, um, was the first team that I had played with and that was all boys. I was the only girl um, that was in that uh, and I only made the team primary seven, so it was kind of like, P6s and P7s back then so I never made it the first year and made it the second um, after, before that I had only trained with you know but it would have been like SFA you know coaches that were putting on sessions across um, Glasgow and the West and, and stuff so there was one of the was actually a friend of 
my brother's, it was his dad who was an SFA coach and he used to do a, a session twice a week just for an hour um, and that was kind of just all the, the kids for school that went there but I never actually played for a girls team until I was 15 um, when I went to Cumbernauld so I missed out in quite a few years of uh, playing really, I only played for you know fun, played with uh, the boys that I grew up with all the time um, played at school but there, there wasn't a girls team at school um, so that was just you know, part of core PE and stuff like that. Um, but luckily, where I grew up, there was you know twenty boys that was was playing football. So it would be the jumpers down or uh, the traffic cones over the field, and you know twelve aside. Um, but it was good fun. That, I think that was some of the most in, enjoyment um, of the football. Is when I look back to those years in primary school football when I played in that that. Uh, final year of primary school was some of my fondest memories when you, you think about that achievement in itself and kind of the big deal that it was that you were the only girl playing in you know the West of Scotland League and stuff like that so um, I used to enjoy that Oh I definitely there were many girls sorry I was going to say did you find it was a challenge that being the only girl that um, what people would try and Suggest you shouldn't be playing in the team or try and put men or boys in front of the head of you? I think there was a bit of that. Um, actually, I do think the area that I grew up in, the East End, there was, actually, there was loads of talented footballers, so it would have been hard to pick a team anyway. Um, but I think it was... it was nice. The boys, I never felt... I always, you know, they were my friends... Um, they never looked at me any different, you know, get the odd one that would, you know, sexist comments or um, it would be more jealousy, but I don't think they knew, you know, what they were saying. Um, I think to them it was a bit strange just that I was probably better than, you know, it wasn't the, the better players that were slagging you, it was the ones that weren't as good as you. <laughs> so that's kind of natural with kids anyways, that, you know, they would lash out like that. So. No, everybody was really sportive. Um, you were always referred to as the wee lassie that, that played football. <laughs> you know, that there was no... Uh, nobody really asked too many questions. Uh, and it was always strange if you were, you know, in the street where I, you would go and kick the ball about and stuff. If somebody walked by, you know, they would stop and stare because it wasn't the norm back then. Um, but that actually just used to spur me on a bit because you wanted people to notice you. You wanted people to see... That you were actually as good as the boys, and any time I get an opportunity to go up against them and, and play, um, I always tried to prove my point, um, and they treated me as an equal. So no, it was it was great those years playing, and um, I think gave me you know a good foundation to go on and, and play and uh, prove myself, you know, and keep doing that over the years. You say that. So I was just going to say. Um, you, you say that um, they treated you as an equal. Was that um, the same whenever they went in for a, a challenge with you? Because some 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 guys um, stereotypically might say, "Oh, I better not go in for a challenge here because it's a girl." No, the only time that ever became an issue was again when I was older. You know, when I would maybe go sit when I was sixteen, seventeen, and I was playing five sides with my brother and his mates then, who were you know nearly 20, 
or I would come up against like my stepdad and his friends or you know my older cousins and that for me would frustrate me because actually I think the only reason that was was an issue for them was because they didn't want to get that close to you in case you embarrassed them <laughs> and I know that sounds daft but genuinely you know so I've, I've never played games you know with the physicality like that but even in five aside you know nobody's really putting each other up in there so um, I've seen it done it's physical in terms of you know going shoulder to shoulder if you're up against the boards and stuff like that which is fine but um, not as, as kids and teenagers um, I th- the boys knew I could give as, as good as I got um, you know I was physically strong anyway uh, I had a kind of martial arts background and stuff so I always knew how to protect myself on the pitch um, no, it was it was genuinely never an issue. I never felt, and actually, the a couple of times you would be, you know, going toe to toe with the, the boys, and then you would think, well, this probably doesn't look that great for anybody that's looking on. Um, but no, I just get stuck in, and they respected me. And uh, as I say, we were all friends, and you know, the competition was rife amongst us also. And I had an older brother, so it was that was always my um, my go to if I get myself in too deeper into a spot of bowler. Am I right in saying as well your dad played junior football? Aye, right? uh-huh, yeah. Aye, that's mm-hmm. right, yeah. He played, yeah, it was a good number of teams. Atherley and Pollock were probably the two main ones that stand out for me in seeing him playing. Uh, and he was at Rob Roy, the tail end his career. He played in his 40s. Um He's moved. He lives over in America and stuff now. But no, he had a good reputation in the the junior game. Uh, he was a striker, a number nine, and um, was you know I loved the game as as much as me. So that was always nice. Whenever we would get to go and watch him uh, play, you know, on the weekends and stuff. But for whatever reason, I never never seen myself as a number nine. Was that your earliest memories then of going to watch football, watching your dad at the juniors? I, uh-huh. Um, I mean, we, we went, but we, we never went, you know, every single week we would go whenever, you know, my nana would be going along and there'd be somebody at the side of the, the pitch to watch, um, watch us, because me and my brother were um, pretty young at the time. So, but no, I remember him, you know, and he was always fit and, um, you know, he was physically very strong, probably attributes in his game. So I, I remember, you know, him taking us over the park at times and doing running drills, you know, the way I would do now. And me ended up in tears because I, I couldn't keep up and stuff like that. So, you know, it, for an early age, I kind of had an understanding of how tough it was going to be, um, the physical side of the game. But I loved, I mean, the juniors back then, you're talking 25 years ago. You know, it was a different, um, a different game to watch, really. And you know, the crowds were were fairly decent back then as well. And you know, the top sides went head to head. So for me, that was you know that was real football. Um, I didn't go to a lot of you know games at any of the Premier League matches or anything. So yeah, that was was what I would associate you know as football. Yeah, it was a good time for uh, all that kind of thing because I remember, even I remember watching the what the Junior Cup final on STV, <coughs> um, in the middle of the nineties, and then obviously 
like Scotland was kind of the, the main focus and the think he's given how many tournaments we qualified for. Um, but I know that. that I know. Um, well, not and the main I, anyway. No, and I remember that as well and I remember you know, him playing in a, a couple of finals that were broadcast on TV and you kind of assumed that that was, you know, that everybody got that opportunity. You know, as a kid you don't, because you see football on TV all the time so you don't realise how much you're an occasion that was for junior players to be playing in that. That was their moment to be on TV and, you know, to have a big crowd there and to have folk tuning in at home and watching it. So um, I loved all of that and, and I've got a better understanding now of being, you know, probably in the women's game where you, you've not had that exposure either. So you, you understand and you appreciate when you get that coverage and you know you get that media exposure and there's big games on TV and stuff it, actually what it means it's not about it being on TV but it's about you know it feeling like you've you've made it almost um, so now good memories looking back on that as well what's the you, first you World Cup seen... you remember? say that again what was the first World Cup you remember watching? I-98 98 was, was the only one uh, for me, I don't even really think I remember the Euros in 96, um, but I remember 98 and, uh, you know, it being like a huge deal. I think we had no long moved into a new house, um, my mum and my stepdad and my two brothers and I remember my mum getting like all the snacks in, you know, <laughs> Scotland, the game was going to be on and uh, having like the banners and the flags and, you know, probably it would have been middle of summer, you know, like a nice day and you assumed that that happened regularly. <laughs> so, aye. For, yeah, that was the uh, <laughs> so you get yourself heavily involved in that as a kid and the strips after that, you know, obviously even when Scotland won eight major tournaments, you're consumed by it. Uh, during the summer and different national teams strips and whatever that are coming out and but no ninety eight was uh, the one that stands out for me. I that was one. I was the only one I got to watch in the pub with Scotland dinner, which was good. Good memories of that. Uh, Apart from the Morocco uh, game, that was dreadful. Uh, uh, the the Brazil game's the one just that is kind of is you know stuck in my memories. Um, in the John Collins penalty it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Aye. But no, it's just mad to, to think that it's you know, not happened since for the guys anyway. No, and, and thank you for um, getting back getting back there for, and for the women's team last year. I know, it was nice actually because you, you don't, um, well, you know, Scottish people do understand what it means, but for us as players, I think for as many people to have got behind the team as what they did, and for there to be the fans over in in France that had travelled and stayed for you know the entire time that we were in the the tournament, um, and the buzz back home and stuff, just you know making those memories with people, and you know I would love to have been on the side of it as a as a fan and a player, um, you almost envy the fan participation aspect of the tournament because we've been longing for it um, but then you, you need to kind of you know pinch yourself and think well I'm actually there as a player so you can't have your cake and eat it 
you must have seen how much of a change there's been um, in the exposure of the women's game and over the course of your career, um, up to probably the pinnacle being that World Cup last year. Um, I, it's changed. Um, it's, got lo- it's, it's got loads better, but I still think we're miles off of, of where it needs to be. Um, and that showed, I think, with the, the World Cup and the amount of interest that there was before the tournament and the way it's kind of slowly but surely uh, fizzled out um, now, you know, and even now if you go on social media, I don't know how long you would need to look for to actually find an update uh, on women's football and, you know, what's going on and how it's affecting teams in the women's game and how it's affecting players in the women's game just now and what jobs are on the line and all the same things that are, are happening in the men's game are, are absolutely happening uh, in the women's game. So, no, but it, it's been positive because there was, you know, a point where there was, you know, zero exposure um, for us. So it's been amazing. Uh, and as the national team to have been part of that since I made my debut back in uh, 2009, I think it was, all the way through now to have been part of that journey where there's been you know, ups and downs and many highs and, and many lows. It, it was incredible to have one been at the Euros in 2017 and to have been at the World Cup in, in 2019. And it's more the the bit that's more enjoyable for us is the grassroots level and, and the investment of clubs and resources and, and the amount of girls that are, are now playing the game. Uh, that means more than, than any level uh, of exposure, I think. Because you'll now be role models for young girls wanting to play football, whereas maybe when you were younger, you wouldn't have had that as much. No, it's not to say that there there wasn't any, um, but you you can't be what you can't see, uh, and that was how it was, you know, back then. And the only female uh, role models that I would have seen would have, you know, been at a a Commonwealth Games or an Olympics when when they were on TV, you know, and you would see female runners and. Athletes there, but I never knew that you know there was as many women that played football, or that there was other girls that played football until I was fifteen. And I think the problem that you even then would have because it was the Olympics, it was never a, a Scottish team or an English team. It was always like, Team GB, which we never really got until twenty twelve. I know uh, exactly. Um, you know, and I, I feel for for all those those women back then that. Um, gave as much as, as we give now and probably more, you know, and never get the recognition and um, the exposure and the love that, that we've all had as, as players now. Um, but it's great that, that that's changed and, you know, as you said, it's role, been role models for the next generation of players that are, are coming through and I don't even think we, we really see ourselves as that. Uh, we understand the impact that, that we have and what we do and the way we live our lives and we try and make ourselves as accessible as we possibly can to, you know, younger players, whether that be in the academies at the clubs that we play at or, you know, fans through the national team or even on social media and stuff, you know, we try and reach out to people as, as much as we can because, um, as you said, that's something that we never had. So we, we, we totally understand, you know, what it means. If I went to a game when I was a kid and you had a, a player that even looked the road you were on, you know, when you were standing outside waiting for the players to arrive, you would get an absolute buzz off the fact you thought they had looked at you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, um, 
or if a, a player celebrates in front of you and, and you feel like they're celebrating with you. Um, so we've felt it on, on that side of being fans and, and loving the game. So we try and give back as much as we can. What, what do you think have we done um, to kind of recapture what the, the feeling of last summer when everybody was behind the, the, the team and heading up to the World Cup and then into the World Cup itself? Because you say that, that explosion was great, but it seems to have dropped off again since then. So do you think there's anything that could happen now that could kind of recapture that? I think there, there has to, you know, try and find a way to, to get more games on TV. Um to live stream games, you know, so that people have uh, get access to them. For me, I love all different sports. So when I try and take myself outside the women's football bubble and think about ways to make it better, I try and think about what makes me enjoy other sporting events. Um, and one that me and my brothers speak about all the time is with boxing. Uh, so I don't particularly love boxing. Um I'll enjoy watching a boxing match if I know the boxers or I know their story or if it's you know a grudge match between two boxers or it's a rematch if there's a bit of history so you can actually become emotionally involved in the fight I don't love the fact that two guys are going to punch you know the living daylights at each other so if I think about women's football and I think about what would make somebody want to watch women's football if you don't know anything about it well one you have to make it accessible two you need to know who's playing let people know the stories allow people to become emotionally involved with it and also there has to be a level of consistency in terms of the broadcasting and the coverage because if one week you know that Glasgow City have played and they beat Hibs 2-1 and then next week there's absolutely nothing you know, anywhere to be found other than on Glasgow City or, you know, Celtic's Twitter page. How do you keep up with the game? If you, you know, if you follow the men's game, there's so many platforms that you can check live scores, you can get interviews, you can see highlights. Um, there's, you know, everything throughout the week. There's a match build-up. We don't have that in the women's game. You just have games that take place, especially in Scotland, on a Sunday, and you have the clubs that are, doing their very best, you know, to get as much content out there as they can. So for me, there has to be resources, there has to be sponsorship, uh, there has to be, you know, contracts in, in terms of media coverage and games, um, you know, and, and how we get young people along to the games, you know, to, to give them that experience so that they can back. See, within Scotland, it's still predominantly, obviously, part-time. Is there any full-time footballers in Scotland, like domestically? Yep. We have a, a couple, well, probably a handful or so at Glasgow City, um, part-time, I guess. I, I don't even know if you would class it as full-time. Rangers this year have, have invested a lot of money. I think the majority of their squad is, is now full-time. Celtic, I think the majority of their squad is now full-time. Um, Hart. I think I've invested quite a bit I don't think they're full time but I, I know there's been um, a lot of money and resources in, invested at grassroots in the academy uh, through there and I think Hibs have, have possibly got a couple as well so no, this year has probably been the, the most um, amount of pro players in Scotland um, that there's ever been and That will obviously help going forward hopefully that continues kind of more investment so I think I've seen the, SF, the Women's World Cup 
USA get two million for it, whereas the men's World Cup Germany get thirty five million. Yeah, and I think that's where um I don't know if it would have been as little as, as that right enough in the US, but possibly. I know there's there's, there's been more um a bigger push for equality in, in the last um couple of years, but it'll all depend. I mean, the men's game, you know, especially off the back of this pandemic and, and the lockdown that we've seen, you know, how clubs recover financially, you know, only time will tell. Uh, of course, that's going to impact, uh, you know, down the food chain in, in terms of the, the money and the finances that are available to, to women's sides that are associated with the men's clubs um, and the academy structures and, and so on. So for us at Glasgow City, the Saving grace for us is that we're a standalone club and, you know, that we're a, a girls and women's side only, um, you know, and we fund ourselves off of, you know, sponsorship and, and other things. So, um, you know, I hope that we can manage to sustain the, the level that the game's at and push it on over the next couple of years. But again, all that's is probably going to boil down to, to how well we can stabilise the economy and, you know, and the Scottish game coming out of this. I think it'll definitely help that the BBC were getting uh, getting quite involved again. I mean, obviously that, that this season's kind of stopped before it's really get started, but we did get the the opening game between yourselves and Celtic, and um, certainly a last minute winner is always going to be a big selling point. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. not for your side, but um, that wasn't. No, no. <laughs> and I, to be honest, I mean, I think uh, for your point of view, the fact that that game was televised was was the only reason that it actually went ahead that night so we would have probably rather that it would get called after that last minute winner but uh, no, like BBC Alba have been uh, tremendous over the last couple of years and, and they've shown a lot of um, you know, a huge commitment to the national team and, and followed the qualification campaign and, and the games that, that we've played of late um, you know, BBC Scotland have, have done bits and, and I think there were plans for there to be games live Um you know, about a live streaming of, of the uh, top flight football this season, but that kind of never got off the ground just with the season drawn to a, a halt. So we'll see where the, where everybody picks things back up again, but I just think, you know, we've not missed an opportunity off the, the World Cup because there, there has been so much hype and success with that. And But I do think we, we could have certainly capitalised on it a lot more. Um but maybe that's just how I see it. So get, getting back to your career, um, you had, I mean, you're obviously with Glasgow City now, but this is your third spell there, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, people keep saying that it's my third spell, and I think even, obviously Glasgow City say that as well, but I think I was there for a month or something in the, the first spell, so I, that for me doesn't even sit well, that <laughs> that's a classification. Um, but no, I was there, I was young um, There was quite a few demands around the club That had changed that season And they were, were pushing That was probably 2000 and I want to say 2006 or something Possibly um, They were trying to push the game And, and train more and, and, you know Commit more coaching hours And try and push the, the physicality And the um, the fitness of the players and 
where I was at in, in terms of work, you know, there was a couple of 7am sessions in the morning that was across the other side of the city and and I was having to come back and I, after, you know, giving it a go for as, as long as I could, I said, listen, this is not, not going to work out for, for you or me. So um, I was there briefly. I was then back there in 2013, uh, no, 20, tw- the beginning of 2012, sorry, um, until 2015 when I went down to Notts County and then Notts County were liquidated and thankfully Glasgow City picked up the phone that day and, and brought me back home, which uh, I'll be forever thankful for. So I, I would say you've played at least a, a very significant part in um, the, the record of 13 titles in a row. <laughs> Because yeah, everybody's been talking about Celtic and Clinch to the nine titles in a row for the second time in their career, but it's not even the Scottish record anymore. <laughs> no, yeah, you... no, well, it's, it's, it's the same when they're, they're going on about 10 in a row and how, no, uh, it's never been done, you know, but even that, you know, the fact, I get that the people speak about that because it's about the old firm and uh, it's always been about that story. But even as a female footballer, I'm consumed by the men's game as well. But I actually find that quite disrespectful that not enough people know about Glasgow City and what they've achieved and that they disregard that level of success. It has never been done. But anyway, that's because I can balance the men and the women's side. So, uh, But not 13 titles. I think I've played my part in six of them. Um and a couple of trebles in my first spell, eh, my second spell, sorry. Uh, so no, like, it's been unbelievable and uh, great memories. And, and last year, getting to the quarterfinals of the, the Champions League was a special one as well. Yeah, that's still that's still ongoing, isn't it? The, the, you obviously went past the run being penalties uh, in the last 16. And then is it Wolfsburg, isn't it? Last yeah, eight? Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg is still uh, on the horizon. I don't know what will happen with the tournament, if they'll play it to a finish or not. I think there's, again, rumours about the way it is with, with the men's uh, game and you know trying to pull teams into the one area effectively and, and play the tournament to a finish over maybe two weeks or, or something like a, like a mini-tournament as such but I don't know time wise how that will work and also for us we're the only team out of the eight remaining uh, in this year's tournament that will need to qualify for next year's tournament so we could actually be playing the qualifiers for next year's tournament at the same time we're trying to play out this year's tournament so I have no idea how they're they're going to work all that and if it'll even be at all possible we'll just need to wait and see but the achievement in itself for, for any Scottish club getting to the quarterfinals is um, it should never be happening. <laughs> you know, when you look at the budgets of most of the clubs a- across Europe, uh, we're punching well above our weight. Yeah, Hibs qualified as well, didn't they? Got to the, what, the last 32, I think. Uh, I don't know if they were in the last, I can't remember. I'm sure, I'm sure, sure the Hibs game did quite well because we get the two Champions League places. Uh, and, I know and, they were in. I, I know they went through the qualifying group, but I don't know if I remember them playing a knockout game. I they could have done. Sorry, it's just that the um, all the seasons run together. So yeah, we've had two places for the last couple of years, and I think this year though it's changed. I 
think we've only got one place this year get into next year's tournament because um, I think the coefficients dropped a wee bit See just going back to kind of Glasgow City as well I see there's a, there's a documentary about to be happening on Alba I seen earlier. Yeah it was it was out if it's the one uh, the women who built City um, yeah. I was out I think the end of March they broadcast it and it was incredible yeah, it was a Purple TV production um, by Margot uh, McCraig and it was broadcast on BBC Albert it's basically about Laura Montgomery and, and Caroline Stewart and their journey um, as you know, young women playing the game coming through um, what made them set up <clears throat> the club um, and the kind of success story that's that's unravelled uh, since. So, no, if you get a chance, actually, for for anybody that's you know not got the, the best understanding of the, the women's game or you know doesn't actually um, know too much about Glasgow City, it's a heartwarming story as well because actually you you understand what the the dynamics and and how much of a family club um, it actually is. So it was a brilliant production and. And certainly, Laura and, and Caroline, you know, deserve that, and they deserve way more recognition actually than than what they get. Um, but hopefully, their, their time will come with that. Yeah, because I never realised until recently when I was doing my research for having you on that it was two women that set up Glasgow City as well. <clears throat> yeah, I two best two best friends that just sat down one one night and says, right, we don't like how it's happening at other clubs, and they're not doing enough. Um, why don't we we start our own in 22 years I think that's been uh, and we've dominated you know Scottish football for the last 13 so it's it's quite remarkable and I see it wasn't even just uh, 13 in a row that you achieved but you got the Scottish Cup winner what, I'm, um, as part of my research I watched the um, highlights on YouTube and you scored a pretty good goal but not quite as good as um, Claire Shane's goal to win it which we um, uses our pick it out that weekend I think um, what was that like just uh, clinching the double the way it happened in the last minute as well uh, it, uh, it was amazing honestly it's, it's one of the best wins uh, that I've had my entire career and for us the last well two seasons that, that I've been back at Glasgow City since 2017 um, Hibs have you know, they've held the Cups, we've, we've not been able to, to take them and they're always the last game of the season, the Scottish Cup, so it's always your lasting memory, you know, whether you've won the title, you know, or you've been at a World Cup or a Euros or whatever, that's your last game getting into a break, so it's been a total bugbear for us. Um, again, the scheduling was pretty heavy, you know, pretty full on for us, with a couple injuries and the build-up to it, Claire Shine actually had, hadn't been feeling too well, um, probably for the, the the ten days leading up to the final, um, we knew that Hibs always fancy themselves because it's like you know it's a mentality thing now. Whatever it is, they just know that that it's theirs to win uh, almost. But we uh, we knew that it had gone on too long, so it meant absolutely everything for us to to get over the line. And I mean, I celebrate the goal, and I'm you know in tears but I'm not sure if I'm, I'm celebrating one because Shiny had such a tough week uh, and had managed to get through the game 
uh, and she'd scored the winner, or if it was just the fact I knew that we were there's no way we were going to extra time, which is normally how our hearts are broken. So, uh, absolutely delighted um, that she came up the goods. And to be honest, our winning goal was tremendous, but the header, um, I think, to draw us back level uh, is even better. And nobody, I, I don't really think, focuses on that goal because uh, the winner is obviously. Is, you know, played it in the manner that that it is, but the header is literally postage stamp uh, for a corner, and I think she's about sixteen, seventeen yards out. Um, so no, brilliant, and and glad to um bring at least one of the cups back to Glasgow. Must have been a bit of a weird build up for you that game, though, because that was off the back of losing your first league game in three and a half years. <laughs> well, I, and I think that that probably you know that done as a favour. Um. You know that that got us going. Um, the people are always it to to bring us down, and and when you're the the best team in the country, that's only natural. Um, for us, for me personally, that when something like that happens, you just need to hit the reset button. And you know we spoke about that. Sometimes when you know you've seen it with with Celtic and the run that they went on in their invincible season, and and then it's you know comes to an end when they get hammered off your hearts 4-1 or something um, and almost you win games when you go on a run like that and it, it drags on and on and on you, you're kind of winning games at times that you've got no right to win and actually the, the motivation for winning is the fact that you don't want to lose that run that you're on you, so it papers over a lot of the cracks if there's things going wrong in the game you go but we, but we won you know, but we won. So for me, it was a relief once that game had happened and we binned it and we just went, you know what, that's, it. you know, we unbeaten records went on for so long. Um, it is what it is. It's gone. The burden of carrying that, we, we don't have it anymore. And we've got one last chance to, to go out and, you know, finish the season on a high, do the double, get the cup back to Glasgow um, and go up the road happy. And that was exactly what we'd done. Do you get nervous before big games like that? I'm, I'm no one for being overly nervous, if I'm honest. Um, but that game, I knew how much it meant to us. Uh, and the season that we'd had as a team, you know, it had been so good. But it had started off, you know, so kind of terrible um, with, you know, Cat Linder, former player and uh, the partner of Laura Montgomery, um, had passed away at the the beginning of the first week of the season. So as a club, we had we had grieved the entire season. Um, we had still managed to produce so much success. Um, and it almost, that all brought us, you know, back together again. But the responsibilities as as players is that, you know, the club is, is built on success. So you don't want it to lose. And again, we knew how important it was to, get the, the cup back off the hip so I actually did feel nervous going into that game and there was a decent enough wee crowd that night and uh, or that afternoon sorry uh, and it was just brilliant I won to get on the score sheet uh, and, and two to get the win was, was tremendous And you clinched the league in some style as well um, by winning 10-0 at Fur Park I wish it was at Fur Park <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure. Sorry if I've got that wrong. I'm sure that um, I read that's where you, um, the league was won. Did you not win it with a ten 0 win over someone? 
uh, we beat Motherwell. Uh, I think it was 10-0, but we played them at Wishaw Sports Centre. Which oh, right, my apologies. Which basically was like a pitch for the, the 70s, um, with grass that had maybe been cut since probably 2014, because there wasn't enough <laughs> grass on it to cut it. Um, there was a hole in one of the nets. Uh, there was no access for disabled fans. There was no access actually for anybody. The, the, it was a shocking setup, uh, and the, probably the gripe that you've heard from that game is that yes, Fur Park was two miles along the road, lying empty um, with the lights out that night. So we voiced our opinions on that and asked perhaps why the women's side um, wouldn't have access to Fur Park the same way the men do. So, yes, our momentous 13 in a row uh, was clinched at Wishaw Sports Centre, which again goes back to the exposure and the standards of the women's game where is there room for improvement? Yes. Uh, it could only be worse if you're playing the old red blaze pitches. It was not far off that, to be honest. You'd have, you'd probably get a better game in the red blaze. <laughs> Throw throw a mould master into that as well, and it would have made it interesting. Yeah, as long as it's not raining, <laughs> still you, you get the, the mark of it on you. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know. They were, the, they were the good old days, actually, in the red place. Ah, you like kids these days don't even know what a red place pitch is. No, what are you talking about? They've all got the three G, four G surfaces, and and all that. <laughs> I think that's why most of it has ended up technically not too bad. I mean, if you can control, as I say, a, a mitre um, or a mould master on a red blaze pitch, you're, you're onto a winner. Oh, I definitely. It's also why I don't know how to slide tackle properly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like that some of the Astros now, though. You want to take your chances uh, oh, sliding and some of that. <laughs> I know. But uh, no, so I 13 in a row was, was one to remember. There's quite a bit of dominance between like Glasgow City and Hibernian at the moment, but you mentioned it earlier about how the professionalism's kind of coming into the game now. And we know from the men's game, like 120 years ago when the professionalism came into that, Queen's Park got a big team and they fell mm-hmm. away because they didn't do it. Do you yeah. think Glasgow City could fall into that same trap if like, the Celtic and Rangers and Hibs and the, the kind of big teams in men's football are now starting to invest more in the women's game? Do you think that might happen in, in this as well. Uh, well, listen, there's, there's always um, the potential for that. I think the men's setup have, have been speaking for it for long enough about investing in the women's game and Celtic formed uh, their you know, first women's side back in 2007, I, I think it would have been. Um, Rangers were a number of years behind them, you know, possibly even 2009. Uh, so th- there's been chat about it for a, a long time, and it's never quite materialised. This year's as serious as it's been in in terms of what they've done, how sustainable it is in, in Scottish football. For I mean, Celtic are a, a force in in terms of the finances, and and of course Rangers are too. But I think where those teams are at just now, and what they prioritise as success, I'm not quite sure how far that filters down the club. Um, only time will tell. I, I think Glasgow City, what it has shown over the years, is that it's an astute business model. Um, 
always comes up with new ideas and ways to improve and, and we've always been the front runners in, in terms of improving the overall women's game, not just the first team. Um, we've got an academy with over 150 players, um, you know, players that we'll keep developing and at some point I hope there's a stain- there is a sustainability factor there where there's more clubs and there's more jobs for players because me as a player who's going to be out of the game, you know, in a number of, you know, maybe three years, I, I, don't, I don't know how long I'll play for, but you want to leave the game in the best possible place that it can. And I know that that's exactly what Glasgow City try and do. If teams come in and they throw thousands, you know, at the game, then Glasgow City will just need to come up with a way to try and keep up with that. And and you have to offer something different to what these other clubs offer. And and certainly what they've got is is that unique family club that's, that's girls and women's only. So um, time will tell. But I, I do think that... Um, Glasgow City will, will continue uh, to match and lead the way uh, for the time being and I don't see it changing any time soon in, in terms of being up there and competing. I think the, the old firm sides will, will push um, their way to, you know, close to the top and it will certainly give us a run for our money and you know Celtic showed that with you know, picking up the, the three points in the first game of the season so um but again, we would would put that down to, um, you know, the conditions and the game and, and it just not being overnight, which which happens in football. So um, it'll be interesting. I'm excited because it's exactly what you want. You want competition and if you, you know, you get that success, you want to have, you know, earned it and um, had a battle along the way. So when we finally get going again, it'll definitely be 14 in a row then. <laughs> well, no, listen, you never know. It, it would be disrespectful for me to um, write anybody off, and, and especially when, you know, we never started the season as best as we can. But certainly, as, you know, title holders, um, I don't think anybody would write us off either, you know, and I think it would be disrespectful for anybody to think that, that Glasgow City, for some reason, this season after 13 uh, titles in a row, we were, you know, no, going to give um, give it a roll. See, just on the subject of pitches, you obviously play at Peter's Hill, so having someone on, there's always a debate about playing on like the 3G surfaces and grass surfaces. How, mm-hmm. how do you find playing on the artificial surfaces, or is that an awkward question to ask? No, not at all. Um, I don't mind it actually. I think there's there's good astro pitches and there's bad astro pitches. If you're lucky in the sense that Peter's Hill is a good surface, it was relayed. Maybe two years ago, um, so it's it's still the, the kind of highest spec. So when we're at home, it's fine. There's loads of pitches across the country that are ran into the ground um, for reasons, you know, either they're poorly maintained or that they get that much usage. And you know, with clubs that have got academy structures or community projects that run on them, or if it's out of sports centres and, and things like that. If you were asking me to pick between an astro pitch and a good grass pitch uh, all day I would, would play on a good grass pitch <laughs> um, it's a bit easier on the body you recover a bit quicker the next day the ball moves you know a lot smoother um, and it is a bit more it's more enjoyable but for us it is what it is most of the games are, are on uh, the Astro unless it's frozen and covered in snow in the winter 
fairly reliable, gives us you gives you consistency that the, the games are on. The setup for us at Peters Hill is, is perfect. Um but you know, hopefully at some point down the line Glasgow City will have their own uh, facility. Uh and I would much rather that was a grass park than, than an astral park. But you just go on with it. You know, you need to just um we're in Scotland and, and that's what we've got for, for the most part. So Yeah. Um Nah, I've been at Peter's Hill a few times for junior games. It's a pretty good setup. I've played in work-related games. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's nice. It's, it, for us, it's good. If you're up at Peter's Hill and we're playing in like a Champions League night and stuff, for me, it's one of my um, like favourite venues to play at because you maybe only get at most 1,300 You know, in the bigger nights that we've played. But if you can pack 1,300 people around the pitch... Um, with the, the small stand that they've got, it's an atmosphere and the pitch and the size of the pitch and stuff suits us. Um, aye, it, it, you know, and you can normally guarantee a bit of rain in Scotland, so if there's a bit of, <laughs> a bit of surface water on it, then you're laughing. Uh, playing in it at two o'clock on a July afternoon when it's one of the, the only sunny days of the year is not that great, but luckily we don't get too many of them. I make a difference for the atmosphere as well because most of the folk are standing as well. Just always <laughs> a better atmosphere. I think. Yeah, that's it. Aye, aye. No, it's good for us. It's it's um, certainly a lot of you know good memories. And the Bronby one was uh, one of the most recent up there, which was uh, excellent. Even although I was suspended for that, it was it was surreal to be sat in the stand watching the game unfold and the way it did the penalties and, and stuff at the end. So. Uh, aye, good memories for there. Is that not really difficult though? When you're, you know you're, uh, you're part of the team. You you should be out there because you're suspended. You're effectively just another fan when it comes to penalties. We all know how penalties are. <laughs> uh no, it was horrific. It was absolutely uh, horrific. To be honest, once we got the extra time, I, I felt we would we would edge it because the last five or ten minutes in the the ninety minutes. We looked far stronger. We looked fitter, uh, and we just looked. I mean, Lee Alexander probably had the game of our life that night, um, and had three or four one-on-one saves. But towards the end, we were were pushing, and uh, you could see that the girls wanted it. So that was reassuring. But you know, when it goes to penalties, anything can happen. So um, it is the first game that I've sat watching as a fan or as a player in the, the stand um, and felt as emotionally connected though even though you've not played which sounds mad you know there's some games that you're you're no part of that you just don't get the same buzz as what the players on the, the pitch would have got but the relief that night when, when the girls did the job was uh, next level And when you um, eventually does start up, if the um, the Wolfsburg game goes ahead, do you um, fancy your chances you can get into the semi final? <laughs> I don't know so much about that, if I'm honest. Okay. Um, we'll give we'll give it a go. Wolfsburg are, are literally um, filled of absolutely world class players. Um, I think they've went cherry picked the the best across Europe and. And beyond um, the previous winners, the you know the caliber that they're playing at is 
again it's next level so it'll be an experience for us it'll be one that we'll embrace if it ever um, happens and these are the moments as, as footballers you know if you come up against a side that's better than you, you just need to you know figure out a way to, to try and manage the game as best you can and stay in the game um, you know and try and show what you can you can do anything can happen in football um, but for us it'll it will certainly be one that there'll be no pressure uh, and no expectation on us, which is for a team like Glasgow City, that's that's often not the case. Yeah, I certainly wish you all the best. Um, obviously, it's going to be difficult against a German team because um, Germany have had a good tradition of um, doing well with the, the women's football, I think the former world champions as well. I think they were one of the first, if I remember rightly. Yeah, the the Bundesliga has always has been strong. Um, and you're right, the the previous world champions, their domestic league has has always been really strong and competitive throughout. You know, not just one or two teams at the top. Uh, and actually, we spoke to Lisa Evans, or you know, mine and Rachel's teammate, um, in our m- most recent episode of the podcast and was speaking about her journey and, and she started out when she left Glasgow City she went to Turbina Potsdam uh, and from there on to Bayern Munich and, and two top sides um, barbaric uh, was how she described the training at Potsdam <laughs> when she first went uh, and that's you know it sounds very German if you like and you know a lot of the methods that you, you see Jurgen Klopp rolling out at Liverpool in, in terms of being the fittest and the strongest side a lot of that comes with the philosophies that, that he's grown up in around um, in Germany and that is, is filtered down uh, and throughout the women's game as well which is incredible um, and I've had the privilege to play against German teams in domestic football and on the international stage as well and um, the players and it's a domestic league that we you know look up to and, and strive to to produce that level of player um, and experience for, for fans and, and participants. So, no, the brilliant set-up over there. Is that something you would have fancied yourself playing abroad at some point? Do you know what? I, I mean, listen, see if somebody came to me around and said, Barcelona are looking for a holding centre-mid, you would go, all right, OK, yeah, that, that might be all right. But... Uh, <laughs> I don't love being away from home. Even when I played down in England, I, I never loved um, being there. I, I loved the football side of it and I loved playing. Um, but I'm very much, you know, a Glasgow girl and, and I, I enjoy being here. So um, it's not, I think that's just my generation of player that we never had those opportunities. And it was never something that I really thought about. I had been offered a scholarship when I was. Uh, 16 to go to America you know and, and go to university and it just never it never you know really appealed to me that much so um, you toy with the idea you think you know if buts and maybes but for me it's um, you know it's not something that's really going to it's not going to materialise now and um, it's not something that I would regret not trying Maybe move on, John. I think you had something you wanted to bring in as well. Did I? Aye. <laughs> no, like, uh, we're going to talk a wee bit about maybe Mental Health Week 
Glasgow City are obviously sponsored by Breathing Space. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. there's been a fair bit of stuff this week on Twitter and stuff like that, promoting mental health week as well. We're obviously advocates are mental health. We were supposed to have a back on side charity games, so it's something we talk about regularly anyway. Um, I think probably just no, absolutely. Just... Yeah, absolutely. And I think it I the more people speak about it naturally and, and the more it, it it doesn't become a thing. Um what it you know, it becomes a norm for people to discuss their, their mental health the same way that they discuss their physical health, then we'll know that we're all moving in the right direction with that. At Glasgow City it's a huge thing for us. It's something that we speak um, openly and, and honestly about um, players, Claire Shine being one, and uh, you know she shared her story, you know just towards the the end of last season, I think it was, or the beginning of this season, um, and her struggles and 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 how her life has has been at times, and and I think we need uh, more of that. And there's been other players over the years that have done the same. So for me, it's a it's a proud thing that breathing space is is you know our sponsor and i think that alone you know shows where we are as a club and and how we like and and want to support one another so no i think it's amazing Uh, everything that happens on social media uh, mental health awareness week is huge Uh, and the more exposure um you know and the more the word can can be put out there about it and various charities and organizations and you know, people like you know the back on side um, charity that do so much. Um, I, it's it's all good things that are you know hopefully if it, it helps even one person then it's it's all doing good. I absolutely. Yeah, back on side was the charity that we were going to be doing the uh, the cha- charity uh, match for, but unfortunately that um, that get. Um, postpones because we will have it back on at some point um but you know the amount of work that they do but it's not just it's not just their mother chat there's lots of charities out there so it's just the thing with the mental health we had alan lawrence on last week um speaking about his side about how in the 90s it was a um, difficult environment um for him to open up to his teammates um What about what about nowadays in terms of and you've mentioned a bit about claire and but what about from when you started out to where you are now the difference yeah, I think the women's game is probably been better for longer in the sense that there's a more open and understanding environment for people to to feel that they can speak and that they can be honest. Um, and you hear that a lot about you know the way that men express their, their emotions and stuff is. Um, you know, which we need to support more is that we need to encourage men to speak and, and to be honest and to be able to say that they're not okay. And, and women, of course, are, you know, are the same. Um, but for me, I've always found that in the environments that I've been part of, that, I, you know, if I wasn't feeling okay, uh, that I would be able to, you know, find somebody that I could relate to, that I would be able to trust and speak to. But, of course, the amount of... Um, outreach that you've got now and the amount of resources and support that's there um that's on hand for for people to to access um has changed you know considerably since i've come into to the game um i do think we can again like, like anything we can still do more and and 
and how we filter that down is, is probably what's going to change things in the long run in, in terms of the way we speak to kids and the way we coach children and, and the things that we teach them in our academies and you know that we reassure them and that we find ways to, to break down boundaries and stereotypes and, and all the different things that um, that give us problems and, and issues in life um, but not it's changed cert- certainly for the better uh, and the, the most reassuring thing is, is that in the men's game it's changing now where there's there's lots of support there and um, people are encouraged to speak and, and that that old school mentality of you know sharing your emotions with, with some sort of a weakness is um, slowly but surely making its way out of sport I think you're right. It, it, it certainly seems a lot more open in the women's game than it is in the men's game because I think the, the men's game still suffers a lot from people just jump on any weakness whatsoever or any difference whatsoever. And one of the places you notice it the most, I think, is in sexuality because you find a gay male football player uh, that's openly that's open about it and you still got to find one. Whereas... In the women's game, there seems to be like some teams have got like partners that play alongside each other. Yeah, it seems to be a lot more open than that. Just in the, in the men's game, there's nothing. Yeah, and I shame. think that's more. Yeah, and I think that's just that the women's either there is no boundaries in in the women's game like that, and there never has been. You know, probably for long enough. You know, perhaps it was an escape where a lot of people that struggled with their sexuality. Um, you know, could express that within sport, and and probably in the men's game, that's exactly what happens. That 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 people use sport and teammates to to escape the fact that they cannot live openly and honestly, um, for the fear of of being rejected, and that in any walk of life is terrifying. You know, if it, it's unimaginable that there's players out there. Um, and you know any walk of life and in football particularly because that's what we love and, and what we are part of but you know there's, there's human beings that are terrified to be who they are because they fear what the response would be from supporters you know <laughs> which I say that flippantly because you're not a supporter if you, you don't support one another um, or your teammates and your peers that you, you, you worry what their response would be about something that's got absolutely nothing to do with the, the, the one thing that you all have in common. So, no, sexuality is not something that's it's ever been uh, an issue in, in the women's game. And, you know, likewise, there's, there's no issues for us, uh, or there's no a lot of stereotypes and, you know, racism and things. You don't see much of it um, across women's sport. And that's not me being harsh in, in men's sport, but I just think that the emotional aspect of men's sport often gets gets carried away with itself and, and we see a lot of that negativity coming out in the you know, ways that it shouldn't. No, I, I, t- I totally agree. There's um I don't think there's any question that it's there's more problems that you allude to in the in the men's game than there's the women. Um I mean you see, even just bring into modern day, some of the stuff you see in Twitter is quite embarrassing. Well football is good at bringing people together. It's also um, a bad divider as well amongst people. It is, and I think people in society, everybody needs to take responsibility for how they impact, uh, you know, 
individuals and, and what they say and that those words, you know, carry consequences and, you know, certainly social media platforms are incredible and, and the outreach that they have when it's good stuff that's been shared and, and when it's, you know, supporting one another, like we're talking about, that, you know, Sports Scotland can, can have a platform to speak about mental health and that, you know, some back on side can do the same and Sam H and they can, Breathing Space can, you know, get that word out there and that there's so many ways for people but see if it's a negative thing that's been spread across social media there is no consequences for those people that share that that negative vibe and that for me is, is a huge problem and I think that that then carries on in, in every walk of life and in football games and, and th- you know people cannot wait to offend somebody else or they cannot wait to provoke a reaction and uh I get the competitive side of football because, you know, I love being part of that, but at no time uh, do I ever feel that to get an edge in a game or as a fan that, you know, offending somebody is, is the right way to go about that. So I think there's still so much room for change uh, and that the the consequences for the people that, that still offend and that make it an impossible situation, like somebody speaking openly about their sexuality, you know, there's there's no um, there's no safeguarding for players. You know, why would a player come out in the men's game and, and speak about their sexuality? Because there's no there's no signs and other things that we see that it would be received well. Exactly. Um, another stigma uh, as well is obviously um, men coaches in women's football is um, quite popular you've got your coach in Scott Booth um, England had Phil Neville mm-hmm. um, but in in the men's game I know Shelley had um, a spell with um, with, with Sterling uh, was it Sterling yeah. Uni I can't remember yeah, but yeah. Uh-huh. there's still yeah. not there's still not a, um, a no, a woman in a in a coaching capacity mm-hmm. at any of the forty two Scottish clubs or even any of the ninety two clubs in England. Um, how difficult a barrier do you think that will be to break down? I think it'll be a hard one. I don't think I don't think it's an issue. Again, like you know what we've just spoke about in, in terms of sexuality and things. Like that, I don't necessarily think that the bigger problem with that would be that it would be you know the the player or person's club that they were associated with that, that would make it impossible to do and likewise I don't think that there's the reasons why uh, female coaches haven't been appointed in, in any of the, the top divisions in, in the UK um, is to do with that they don't fit the criteria or they don't have the same ideas or I think it's more about the fear of what the backlash might be from supporters and that's that's the barriers that need to be broken down um, and again that will probably only happen when the women's game gets the, the right level of exposure and respect that it deserves because naturally that's where the female coaches of you know 99.9% of the time come from is the women's game, the same way in the men's game they've came through that pathway Um I would love to see it. I would love to see it uh, happen. I think there's incredible female coaches out there, uh, very talented. I think the way that we deliver information as females and the way we um, 
receive information is, is different for the way a guy would deliver it and receive it. So I, I think it would be an interesting blend. And as you touched on, Shelley, who had a, a successful spell with Stirling Uni. Uh, and again, that was a barrier for the Scottish game. I would like to see more of it. But also with that, see if you're the right person for the job, whether you're a man or you're a woman. Gender for me shouldn't be a thing. You know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't right. say at Glasgow City, I wouldn't say, oh, I think we should only have a female coach because, uh, you know, we're a women's side. So, no, I love the fact that Scott's our coach. I, I love that blend that we've got. I love the relationship that he has with the players, that it's a professional working relationship where he's learning in the, the job. He's learning how to work with us. Uh, we've learned how to work with him. And same way through through the youth and uh, the grassroots levels, you know, I wouldn't say that we just need to have all female coaches here because... I'd, I, you know, if you're the, if you're all the best female coaches, then why not? But you know, don't just be putting people in jobs because of gender. That that's how I see it. So, um, hopefully, one day it will happen. I think uh, it would be interesting to see, in this the sense that you know, I would love to see a, a you know a female coach bring success at, at any level. Um, but I think at the point that it happens, we'll know that we've we've all moved in um, a really positive direction, and that you know certain barriers have been broken down. I think one of the areas that we are seeing a bit of progress in that, certainly in the men's game, is in the area of broadcasting, because we're starting to see people like Haley Barber and Haley McQueen starting to actually not just be in the, in and around the game, but they're actually the, the forefront presenter um, in mm-hmm. the same way we've like, obviously. Go back to what we got with Des Lynham and Gary Lineker's on match of the day and things like that. So we've, we've, we've got that now. Um, and then, as well as, of course, yourself uh, mm-hmm. being presenting on, on the sports scene. How did that come about? Um, well, I'd quickly just sorry to touch on you know somebody like Ailey and, and Hayley as well. I, I don't know Hayley, um, but I know Ailey. And again, she's somebody that probably receives a lot of criticism for, for being a female and, and the stuff that you see on social media. But she's actually received, you know... M- for the most part, very, very well, and she comes across really, really well, and she's incredible at her job. But Ailey comes from a sporting background. She loves sport. She played football. She's an absolute stats geek when it comes to uh, understand. You know, and I know her on a personal level like that would have had those discussions with her. And she came and spoke to us when we were uh, with the national team as well, almost like an inspirational speaker one day. And um, listening to her story and her journey it was so interesting and the the hard work that she had put in since she was a teenager you know, always keeping charts and uh, tables and statistics and that's always been her passion so see for anybody that thinks that somebody like Ailey Barber is, is doing the job just because she's a female that for me, you know is so disrespectful because you would never say that about a guy that was doing that same job you would just assume that it was their passion Um but anyway, for me, the, the media thing came about um, back in 2017. It started off when I had just come back from Notts County. Um, I had did the Scottish Cup draw, and it was Peter Martin that was conducting the draw. And I got chatting to Peter, and, and he just said he was, you know, he's got his own company, PLZ Soccer, and he was speaking about getting a, you know, a female on board to to do some work and. Uh, I had messaged them on Twitter after, you know, a couple of days later to say, you know, if you're looking for for somebody, I would 
you know, I'd love to give it a go. Don't really know what you're asking me to do. Um, but I'm at a bit of a loose end. I've just come back to Scotland. I'm back at Glasgow City, blah, blah, blah. And he says, all right, no worries. Um, I'll be in touch. And literally, he got in touch the next day. He said, come into the, the studio and we'll have a chat. Uh, and for that weekend on, he sent me out to games, uh, covering, you know, in the press box, doing uh, a piece of camera at that time. His show was on STV2 before that um, that channel closed. So that was on every Saturday. So for me, that was a, a you know a daunting prospect because I had never done any sort of media uh, work like that before. I was in at the deep end, standing outside Ibrooks and in Parkhead and uh, you know Tynecastle, Easter Road, setting up an iPad and a tripod and you know off a pop, just, <laughs> just absolutely winging it. Um, and then from there, BBC then got a bit more involved in the women's game. And I think the BBC stuff came about uh, maybe about six months before the World Cup. They started to do more in, in terms of uh, getting more females involved, which, again, is great to get the opportunity. Um, for me, I would like to think that I'm there now because I've worked hard at what I'm doing, that I'm willing to learn. Uh, and that I'm not just there, you know, because I'm a female. That's the world we live in. We're not at a stage where even at the World Cup, you know, you're you're picking certain people to broadcast matches um, based on gender and ticking boxes and, and everything else. And um, it, it's been an incredible journey. It's been a bit of a whirlwind. Started off doing the radio and, you know, sports scene and stuff on a Saturday. And, and then myself and... Stephen Thompson got the opportunity to present the Scottish Championship show, which is the uh, the live games. It's on BBC Scotland on a Friday night, and it's been it's been brilliant. It's been totally nerve wracking. It's well out of my comfort zone. Um, do I see the criticism that gets you know fired at both ends? Yes. Do I really care? No. Uh, and the reason why I don't is because I know how hard we work at understanding what we're doing, uh, being right in at the deep end with, you know, basic equipment at the side of a football park, you know, having to remember links to camera, uh, having to analyse the game, you know, making our own packages that we send across to the team to make it half time. There's so much behind what we do in terms of the production of the show. Um, and luckily we're, you know, working alongside a brilliant team that um, have given us the opportunity to learn uh, and it's been tremendous even the fact that it's the, the Scottish Championship that I love because I kind of see it it's, as a division that doesn't get the recognition that it probably deserves a lot of the players that play within it are overlooked um, you know and, and like most things in Scotland we're, we're overly critical and we don't uh, you know we don't nurture and love uh, the things closest to so it's been great brilliant experience and hopefully once we're back up and running uh, we'll be able to pick up where we left off I think everybody is going to get criticism when they put their head above the the parapet and they, they, they put themselves out there. Everybody's going to get criticism. But I find that the ones that get the most respect are the ones that have a personality to be able to carry it in the first place and are honest in their opinion. And I think, like, Stephen Thompson is a perfect example of that, I think. He, 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 we, yeah. we know he is a, a former Rangers player, so he's obviously played for one of the big clubs. He's a St. Marin boy. <laughs> that, that's always been obvious. Um, yeah. But he, he, he does put across his honesty. He'll tell you what he thinks. 
doesn't always agree with Michael Stewart on the, the flagship show, but so be it, that's what we want. A bit of bit of debate and a bit of fun. Um and I think I think that partnership works quite well. I think the partnership with yourself works quite well. You, there is a bit of like you say, the, the technical aspects of it make that quite a difficult part of it because you're you're mm-hmm. not in a studio presenting, you're right next pitch side and sometimes the time scales are a bit tight as well when I find them uh, that, that channel especially it's like you've you got about three oh, seconds to, it's, to finish it's, off the show and you have to go I, it's, it's wild um, if there's like, literally every game like, so we don't have any auto cure or anything um, which is probably obvious in, in terms of uh, some of the earlier games anyway but um, at an end of a game you can have anywhere between, you know, three and four minutes to close the show by the time the game ends or, you know, the full-time whistle goes and you've literally got uh, 90 seconds to close the show and in amongst that you're going to show a highlight reel of what's happened, you're going to squeeze in a Man of the Match interview, you're going to come back to me and uh, Tom for a comment and then you have to try and navigate your way out to a closing link that, um, you know, takes you into the, the game that's coming on next week, so you're never set for that, you know, so at 85 minutes, you could be, you know, nil, nil, nothing's happened. <clears throat> the 90 minutes, you've got three goals, you've got a sending off, you know, you've got two minutes injury time added on, so everything changes, so that at no point can we actually be that prepared for, for that point of the show, um, which in time, listen, of course, you, you obviously, you, you'll get better at that, and that for me is what I love, it, it's about learning, you know, I, for a huge part of a footballer's career, you, you're almost doing the same thing week in, week out. Um, you train the same, you play the same. Um, whereas this, the media experience for me in the, the last couple of years is is blown my mind. And in, in terms of you know how you analyse the games and what you're looking for and understanding, you know, and looking into other divisions, they'll and you know <laughs> looking at academy players and you know transfer windows a bit more and. Uh, which I loved all that anyway, but um, certainly the the enjoyment factor of all that knowledge and putting it to use now um, stimulates my brain beyond belief. So um, I love it, and you know it could last for another. You know it might never happen again. Put it that way, or I could go on and, and have a brilliant career in the media. Who knows? Um, I just try and embrace it and and live in the moment and you know learn as I go. I'm going to ask the question that um, Cal McFadden has asked on Twitter. How much does Thomas win in makeup? <laughs> um, he's not in there too long, I would need to say. No, for sports scene, he's always slot- he slaughters me because I'm in there for ages. Um, I just rock up on a Saturday and everything needs done. So um, that's the beauty of live TVs that you actually get makeup and stuff like that when we're pitch side we don't have makeup or anything like that we, we freestyle it so we uh he's fine that way uh, but no he's he's a he's a brilliant guy he's he's totally down there he takes all the the banter and, and all the stick that comes his way and he's stride and he's probably taught me a wee bit about that as well just to <clears throat> to go on with and I think we're both similar in that sense that we don't take ourselves too seriously and, and I think you can see that with the way we kick the show off on, on a Friday night with it normally being me taking um, the piss out of him so um, <laughs> you know but <laughs> that, you, I think you need to be able to do that, you need to be able to laugh at 
like yourself in order to be, be comfortable with other people laughing at you. So, um, but no, I think I would be lying if I said he was in makeup for longer than me. You can tell he likes a Barnett as well because uh, last season I watched Talbot and he was covering the Talbot air game and he came under a bit of criticism from some of the fans. But when he came down, he had a great laugh with the Talbot fans. He was really good. He was in the clubhouse and all sorts, chatting away to folk and uh, he was good. Good guy. Uh, he, is, he's, he is. He's totally down to earth. And, and then he's had a brilliant career as well and I think that's what, what people forget and, and whether he, he hit the heights that you know some old firm players have, have done or not is, is up for debate. He played at Rangers when when they were a, um, a very very strong side, you know. And he tells stories like that when his first training session, when uh, you know he's trying to lace a ball in a, a passing drill, and he makes a you know a mess out and tries again, makes a mess out, and he can just hear a voice behind him like, "What the fuck is this?" Oh, and it's Ronald De Boer, you know, Ronald De Boer standing behind him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I heard that an open goal. Aye. I, I, you know, and he's, uh, he's went down and obviously played at, at Cardiff and Burnley and uh, he's a St Mirren legend. So you, you can't, you know, you can't argue with uh, the career that he's had and he could have been happy and content and, and walked away for, for football with that or went into coaching and, you know, and, and just done what a lot of people do, just survive, you know, but he's put his head above um, the water and, and obviously embraced the media side of it and uh, I enjoy working alongside him, he's, he's a good guy. I think my favourite yeah, Stephen Thompson fact is the one that when Celtic beat Rangers five times out of five in one season, he got the only goal for Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? <laughs> That's my favourite fact, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> That's one he's never shared with me right enough, he probably doesn't even <laughs> know that. <laughs> Because one, do- one thing he does need to do is talk about himself, like playing football, he never speaks about it. That goal cost me a few pounds because I had money in Celtic winning 2 all that day. We experienced many good nights out with him, that, do you know what? We've actually, no, we've actually never um, had a night out, and I, it's more because of the timing of since we've we've kind of been working together in all the works nights out and stuff. Um, all the Christmas nights clashed. I think for me with football this year, so I never made any of the the work ones, and then the summer was was obviously consumed with uh, the World Cup, and and he was over there and, and stuff like that. So no, I've not got any. Um, my own stories to share about him, but I know that right, when I've listened to Open Goal, there's been more than a handful of uh, uh, players that, that always speak about him. And if he's not smashing up guitars or throwing pint tumblers across, <laughs> or something like that, I <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> certainly got that uh, crazy streak in him, I think. And you've probably heard him, he does all the like, mad noises, animal noises, and stuff when we're in between. Um, like clips on, I, I spoke about it on off the ball a, a few months back, and um, see, I don't know if it's like a nervous twitch that he's got. Um, but I, you'll just be sitting, and you know, David Curry will, will go to run like a, an interview, and, and in between, Tom was making all these mad noises, and the producer and the editors in our ear are trying to tell him to wrap it because he's putting them off, kind of thing. And, and then two seconds later, you're back on live TV. So a lot of the time, when we actually come back on, I'm you're probably sitting trying 
naughty look as if I'm being laughing or we get caught laughing or <laughs> yeah, geez, honestly um, I think it's just nerves swim at times but it keeps you in your toes that's for sure aye definitely makes it more enjoyable as well if you're having a laugh yeah no absolutely um, so we'll move on to the quick fire stuff so I know you do quick fire stuff on your own podcast uh, so you like mm-hmm. to do a quick fire as well so um, okay. terms are do you get any dressing room pranks? Best dressing room prank? Um, honestly, I'm messy serious in the dressing room. Uh, Lisa Evans and Emma Mitchell probably at the national team are, are just pranks that's an annoying but no so much in the dressing room, I would need to say. We're, we're all a bit mellow and, and low-key. Uh, I can't think of anything that's, that's jumping out at me. Obviously, we've got a lot of time um, locked down just now. What's um, the best box sets you've been watching? I have watched This Is Us, which I think there was about 40-odd episodes in that, uh, an American one that was quite good, Ozark, and I'm three-quarters of the way through The Last Dance, which I would need to say it's enjoyable but I'm no getting the hype that's that's around it. I have actually I'm no I've no loved Michael Jordan uh throughout it so I don't know what I'm missing. I might need to actually watch it again for the start. I don't know if I've been sitting on Twitter too much with my phone whilst it's been on that I've not got the full um appreciation of what everybody else has, has got. I mean he's incredible to watch as a basketballer and the talent is unreal but actually some of the stories um I've not really warmed there. I was a bigger fan of um, Scotty Pippen. Is the whole thing up Netflix now? Because I know people were complaining it wasn't. No, I think it's. I know. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is finished now. I think that's why Twitter's been in uh, overdrive today. The only Michael Jordan thing I've seen Netflix is uh, Space Jam. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah. apparently, loved it. New, <laughs> uh, I think there's a new Space Jam coming out apparently um, yeah, I don't know if it's this year it's scheduled for uh, um, that's a throwback and a half <laughs> yeah, well, we touched on um, you know, the, the crisp and biscuit chat earlier what's your favourite um, packet of crisps? favourite crisps? Um Uh, salt and vinegar is, is probably my favourite. I'm not. I quite like the kettle crisps. Um, but I, I see when I, I don't eat crisps that often. I actually like anything, so because it's always <laughs> I don't. Um, and I, I quite enjoy a savoury snack. But salt and vinegar, um, kettle chips, is probably up there. We mentioned the little pies. What's your favourite pie? Macaroni. Macaroni? I think that's oh, the no. first time we've had that. No. I can't even eat macaroni pie. I, I, I don't eat um, red meat or, like, ever, really. Um, certainly don't eat it in a, a pie. Um, but no, I love a macaroni pie. And I used, there was a baker's when I stayed in Edinburgh. Um, I think it was beans. And they were unbelievable off the scale. Um 
I love my macaroni and I love a pie, but I just can't combine them. Doesn't work for me. Stodge, stodge, and stodge in it. Aye. <laughs> Too much stodge. <laughs> Cheese goes ready for it anyway, so. Aye. No, I do, aye. Nice. Outside of your own and this one, what's your favourite podcast? Uh, I'd probably say I've got two that are on a, are on a par and they're two very different. Uh, I love listening to the Open Goal podcast uh, and I also love the Desert Island Discs. Yeah, it's good. Have you heard the Ian Wright one? No. No. Is that one? Is that a recent one, or is that an old one? It was a while back, but it was a while back. Aye, she 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 listens to a fair bit, um, and she was saying, "Oh, you can't listen to this one in public because you'll just start greeting." It's like, it's like some of the stories (laughs) he tells about when he was his coach when he was younger and stuff like that, and getting into football. So, uh, I suppose quite emotional. It's quite a good one. No. Aye, no, I need to give that a listen. Uh, toughest opponent in football. Say that again, toughest opponent, was opponent, that? Opponent, yeah. Yeah, um, I was asked this, one of the academy kids asked me that the other day, actually, and Karen Carney was one that, that stood out during my time down at Knott's. Come up against her a couple of times, and it was like marking a ghost, honestly. Like, she was just popping up. You know, you would think you would be close to it at one point, and then just the small movements that um, she just kept finding space. Uh, a bit, she was similar actually to Kim Little. Um, the way that they are deceivingly quick and, and the way they move and, and cover the ground. So, no, Karen Carney was um, non enjoyable day chasing her about. <laughs> One of those you're tempted to feign injury like Sob. Sob. <laughs> 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 no, you're just trying to get close enough to that you can put her up there. <laughs> That's the attitude I like that. <laughs> I feel like this is the kind of question you ask someone who's uh, at the end of their career, but um so we'll say career highlights so far. Uh, for me it's got the two major tournaments I think with the national team uh, stand out and you know are huge for, for the the nation, um, let alone just the players that were part of that. So the Euros in 2017 and the World Cup in, in 2019 um, and domestically last season is is a you know career highlight in, um, in terms of the double and the Champions League quarterfinal. I don't think, um, I think that'll be hard to match again. Um, and the the final one from me. Um, name your um, the best eleven from your team as a player, club and country. Club and country combined. Yeah, well, if it has to be all eleven club players, fair enough. I just thought you might want to put in a combination. Okay. Uh, you've caught me on the hop. So Lee Alexander and goals. Corsi. Um, Hayley Lauder left back 
it's hard with Hayley actually because I would have her in my team but she can play anywhere so she's a good one to have in there um, Ailish McSorley I think even though she's not made it um, as a mainstay you know in the national team she was brilliant her in, in course of the partnership that they two had at my uh, the setting spell that I had at Glasgow City they, they were frightening Erin Cuthbert's got to be in there Um not right back right enough I'll come back to that one <laughs> <laughs> she'll be raging if she thought she was at right back <laughs> um, right back's probably a hard one because it's always been I might actually put Leanne Ross in there because Lero's got to make my team あ、あれだよ、シスコ200ファンティゴーグセナケリ、キレクラスコサイ、アンチョナプレイド1シーズンアザスタイカ。いや、アイシス。シノンデペノイスフォーザラスト10イヤーライナフ。オッケー、ラ
a completely different, you know, seven or eight to go in there because um, even my, my time down at Knotts, you know, some of the England players that I, I played alongside um, the national team as well, you know, players like Emma Mitchell and, and Lisa Evans um, and some of the older ones that have, have been and gone. Um, so, no, I've, I've been blessed, actually, that I've, I've played alongside so many top players. I throw that in every one of my guests, um, so you're not alone and you won't be the last, but, but that was um, well done. Yeah, who's the manager? <laughs> None of them. <laughs> <laughs> you can manage it yourself then. Aye, I've not got myself in that 11, so I'll just I'll be the coach. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, they've got a good blend of managers as well, but um, I think it's right, it would be harsh to pick one of them because they've all had their, their strengths and what I would say weaknesses. So I'll just take the reins. <laughs> Brilliant. I think that wraps up. Then I think unless there's anything else. I'm sure we could talk for hours yet. <laughs> yeah. It's another, another long one. I think last week was our record. I think we were on for about two and a half hours. Aye. Right. Yeah. Which is all good and well, isn't it, until you start trying to edit stuff down. Uh, the editing's yeah. not so much the problem. It's just the fact that, you know, some of us have got work first thing in the morning as well. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> right, true. Yeah. We, we don't really bother editing. That's the thing. We just kind of put it out yeah. as it is. Yeah. Any editing just kind of ruins the flow, I think. So yeah. It's a conversational podcast, you just want it to go as it is. Yeah, no, true. Yeah, I even keep my swear words in as well. I actually mean good, I've no swore tonight. I was going to say, I've had one swear word in this podcast, and it came from our guest. <laughs> oh, no, oh, that'll be me bringing the standard of the women's game down. Well, I'm usually and, and we're being on. perfect generally for a change. Nice to have a mix of vocabulary. Yes, definitely. Uh, but uh, thanks again for coming on, Leon. Really enjoyed it. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Hopefully, maybe and, uh, we'll be back on at some point as well. Yeah, I know worries once the, the football gets back up and running, it'll be good. Definitely. And, I, and I think on behalf of the entire nation I'd, I'd just like to thank you for last summer because that was a, a feeling I hadn't had for 20 odd years of supporting Scotland in a World Cup I know no, it, was, it was a nice feeling and the, the best part of it was, was getting to share that with, with everybody so I'm glad you enjoyed it Magic no, Thank you very much All right. All right. Cheers everyone See you guys, I'll speak to you soon Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. All right. Bye. Bye.